Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm not. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Urban Planning is Not Boring. This week, we have one of my favorite professors that I've had at USC in the Master of Urban Planning program, Dr. Santina Contreras, who is an assistant professor at the Price School of Public Policy. And her research really focuses on the intersection of environmental hazards, international development, and community development planning with kind of her more overarching goal of research being um, contributing to the deeper understanding of planning of communities that are in really vulnerable positions in terms of um, climate change and just other, um, quote, unnatural hazards that might be, you know, perpetuated by and being made worse by climate change. Um, And yeah, I had her in my first semester of the program in my gateway class to my concentration in planning for climate change and sustainability. And it was a really amazing class. And even coming from an environmental science background, I feel like I learned so much about not just mitigation, but how are we adapting to climate change? How are we making communities more resilient? Which is something that I feel like my undergrad program didn't talk a lot about. And so, yeah, we just want to welcome you, Santina, to the podcast. And if you have anything else that you want to add about like your kind of background and your um, research that you uh, would like to highlight at the beginning, feel free to do that. Yeah, no, that I think you covered it really well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to talk about, you know, talking about hazards and disasters is sort of, as Sam knows from my class, one of my favorite things to talk about. And so excited to sort of jump in and, you know, share what my experience has been like and, you know, um, some, you know, any questions and stuff about research. Yeah, thank you so much again for being with us. And hi, everyone. Welcome back. So, you began your educational journey in structural engineering. Can you kind of, you know, give us a, a quick pitch as how, how did you decide to kind of switch over to planning for your PhD instead of pursuing structural engineering? Yeah, totally. So um, I started, I was um, super interested, motivated, I don't know, a little bit obsessed <laughs> with sort of what happens when there's a major disaster event. And particularly, I was always really um, interested in sort of understanding what was happening to housing. And so um, I had these sort of like deep questions around, um, you know, when you're thinking about places that have, um, you know, vulnerable housing status, um, what does that mean when the, when sort of a disaster happens? And so I think it's sort of a combination of growing up in Southern California and sort of having this like earthquake obsession. Um, and then, you know, thinking about, you know, and when major events would happen or sort of thinking about, you know, communities that I know myself, you know, and what their, you know, vulnerability to housing would look like on a regular day, like what would happen if there was a big earthquake and sort of how that would affect those people. Um, and so that motivation is really what, took me to engineering, I thought, you know, okay, that that's going to be the space that I really wanted to try to make an impact in is, you know, how can we improve housing? How, how can we think about changing housing patterns so that if there's a major um, 
earthquake or other sort of disaster event, people will be uh, better prepared and hopefully, you know, less lives will be lost. Um, and so that's really, um, you know, what took me, you know, sort of my starting place in that structural engineering journey. Um, I did it for my um, undergraduate, my master's degree. Um, I was fortunate enough to sort of get involved in research. And so while I was doing research, you know, I did some cool projects looking at how changes to like you can make tweaks to building code um, things and, you know, looking at different sorts of design parameters and how those things can have these like major effects on how um, different sorts of, you know, structures and housing um, can fare when an earthquake comes. Um, and then when I finished um, my master's degree, I got this cool opportunity to work with a nonprofit that was doing housing reconstruction after the East Indian Ocean tsunami in Indonesia. And so it was sort of like my dream job. Um, I got, you know, I got to go out there and sort of work with this group that was doing some like really cool work um, in this sort of space of, you know, trying to address these housing issues. And the one of the really cool things about the way this nonprofit was working was like their focus was really on working with homeowners and sort of focusing, their model was really focusing on training. And so how do we train, you know, homeowners and local builders so that they can sort of take on these, um, you know, changes to the methods that they were using for construction. Um, as opposed to sort of like coming in, dropping a bunch of houses, which was sort of, you know, can also be something that happens pretty frequently in the global south, you know, when there's a big event. Um, so that experience for me was like, you know, super like defining um, because I got to be in the field. I got to see what this looked like. Um, but it also opened a lot of questions for me in terms of like some of the bigger picture things that were going on around um, you know, post-disaster recovery planning, all of that. And so, you know, namely I kind of had, I would be doing like an engineering project and then I kind of almost would feel like I'd hit a wall a little bit because some of the things that I was asking or felt like they were um, part of the issue sort of were like outside of the scope of what I could do as an engineer. And so particularly I started asking a lot of questions around what it looked like in terms of, you know, social things, right? So what did it look like in terms of communities, how we were talking to communities? And so we were doing like amazing stuff, but it just made me think about, you know, were there things that we could do better? Were there things that, you know, we were doing differently than other groups were doing? What, why were different organizations approaching it and sort of what that looked like in terms of these community um, sort of questions that were not really typically the focus of an engineering <laughs> program, you know, as sort of Sam said in the beginning. Um, and so that's really, you know, I came back, I did, I worked at a couple other places doing similar work and I also got involved in some other um, major events like the um, 2010 Haiti earthquake. And, and so as I kind of kept coming back to this over and over again, I was like, who are the people that are thinking about these bigger issues? Like who's talking to communities? Who's, who's kind of responsible for the things beyond just the house itself or the structure? And so um, that low hold, that's how I found planning. Um, and so I, you know, made the decision at that point to sort of go back to school, get my PhD in planning. Um, and now I actually do a lot of work kind of looking at similar questions in a similar space, um, but I'm able to sort of look a little bit more broadly. And so, you know, I can talk about, you know, more about my research, but, you know, a lot of it ends up sort of looking at these intersections between these um, different spaces. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that you have kind of come from this more or like an engineering background. And because I feel, I do feel like sometimes, you know, taking just like this capstone that we, Natalie and I have been doing, there's some technical things where I'm like, I don't really know anything about like <laughs> soil remediation. Like, I don't really know how to talk about this. And I feel like, not that like, 
soil remediation is, you know, what we're talking about, but like, you kind of have this understanding from both sides of like, okay, what is like the structural, you know, kind of more technical issues with like the buildings or the structures, but then how do we also like, you know, engage with the community? And I feel like in planning, that is like a really big asset that a lot of planners like probably don't have that like duality of having Mm -hmm. understanding on both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, I I like to, I I hope to think so. I'm glad that I'm glad that, that, you know, sometimes you you wonder if you're crazy. And so I'm glad to hear (laughs) a sort of others um, on the same page, but yeah, you know, I think that it is. um, And I think it sort of applies even to people that are not, you know, so I have a really specific type of engineering background, like structural, but like Mm -hmm. other folks, you know, we get, sometimes we get planners that are like more civil engineer. They may do sort of like transportation or water systems that sort of thing or even like again like someone like you that has a more like environmental focus and then shifts to planning so we get people that have you know hard science and mix that with planning so I do think that's like a really common thing that we do see a lot is that um you know planning can be something hard to find as like in high school right it may not be the thing that we're all you know it's kind of like doctor lawyer um and you know planner question mark so it's it's kind of right like it's it takes some time sometimes to find it and so I think there are a lot of us that get different sort of training and a lot of these might be a little bit more technical um and then we we want to fill the gaps in that that space and come I always feel like planning attracts a lot of different fields that have that kind of dynamic and so um yeah I I really enjoy being in this space um because I just do think of most problems most most folks would I think agree that like the the big problems that we face in the world they're inter, interdisciplinary in nature right they don't like wicked problems don't abide by disciplinary boundaries and so it kind of requires people that have lots of different sort of skill sets and different sorts of trainings to come together to be able to address them and so um yeah so for me it's been useful and helpful to be able to both um I think it translate both ways and so as I mentioned I do a lot of interdisciplinary projects so sometimes it's like teams of engineers and teams of social scientists and so we're able to kind of see where we may not be talking the same language and I'm able to sort of you know you know to a certain extent um you know it's been obviously a while since I was you know deep in my engineering days but be able to kind of try to translate some of what we're talking about in a way that makes sense to the technical side and then vice versa so um so yeah so I think um even if you don't have that formal training it's always sort of something that I always recommend my students sort of think about the ways at least that their their work can fit into these different spaces I think it's really interesting that you had kind of addressed the way in which a lot of folks kind of enter planning with a different background because I do feel like that's really common and Sam and I have talked about this on the podcast a lot of people come into planning very much so later on in their education because they either had never heard about urban planning or, you know, it's something that they found out while they were in college or undergrad. Um, And like you said, like you don't typically hear about planning in high school. It really is like that very, you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. And my dad has a civil engineering background and he told me, he was like, civil engineering was so boring and he was like, <laughs> I really like he said it was too technical and he didn't like the fact that in civil engineering you weren't actually addressing the impacts that it would have on people and he was like and then I found planning and he was like and there was this whole intersection so I do think it's really interesting just the way in which we kind of all find planning because I come from a policy public policy background as well so it is a very interesting shift um, and so I just appreciate like 
the fact that you do have that background because I think it is an asset when you're working on things like this to kind of have that understanding. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and I, I'm glad that they, that you you kind of got that exposure to planning as well. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's, um, I think we're trying and we're making shifts in the field. So, you know, you're seeing more undergraduate planning programs yeah. pop up. And so I think that's something that a lot of um, like the discipline is really trying, you know, we're trying to move that way. Just like, how do we engage people even like, again, like at the high school level or earlier on. And also I think the nature of the problems that we're seeing um, and the, the direction that we're going, you know, people, it's, it's always like, it's so cool to me that now, you know, you'll hear like younger people talking about things that are, they're planning things, right? Like you're hearing more people talk about gentrification and different sorts of, you know, environmental justice is now becoming a thing that lots of people talk about. Um, and so I think even that as well, like those sorts of things being things that we talk about more, they're, you know, they're getting more coverage in the news and all of that is leading people to ask, like, who does that? Or where can I go to sort of study those things earlier? But yeah, I think it is, it is partly, you know, and, and I think it makes sense because we're a very like professional field. And so um, you know, it it we all have our different ways. But I think that um uh navigating that and just finding your place, I think, you know, we have we have a good home for for people to find if they're looking to sort of insert some of that the the balance of those different sorts of pieces to it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the impetus of why Natalie and I kind of wanted to like start something that was like, not like super technical and not like academic, but just like, if these are things that like, that we talk about in the podcast that you think about, or like, are interesting to you, like, planning might be something that you should look into and just kind of trying to give like a more casual, like introduction into like, the world of planning and like, this is like kind of what we talk about in our workplace or in school and like these things that you might be observing that you can't really like put a name to like what what is happening here like why is why is this the way that it is like that might be planning and so yeah yeah we definitely want to like try and give like a more casual and like easy to understand and accessible like introduction into that space yeah that's it's awesome and I'm total I'm so glad <laughs> that that you all are taking on this this um this path because yeah you know I think I, I actually just recently had a conversation with a student sort of similar uh, on these lines where um you know they were kind of talking about what they do and you know I've, I've had it with architecture students I've had it with engineering obviously even a lot of like people that kind of go into more environmental spaces and sometimes I think they actually what they originally wanted to do was planning right like it's like mm-hmm. I wanted to do x and work with people you know sort of address it you know fix this in cities and work with you know incorporate people and think about all these things and then you might get into that more technical space and then you're like wait a minute you know where are the people <laughs> you know I, I remember I'm asking this question myself all the time when I was in engineering right like you do know we have to design for people or people have to use this at some point and like when was the last time we thought thought about uh you know that part because you know it makes sense in that field you're more gonna you're more concerned about the technical aspects right like are does what is it fit for these boundaries and so um yeah I think being able to have those conversations is really cool because um you know it's hard to know what you're gonna it's hard to know what each of these fields is about or going to do until you're in it right and so I think the more we can do to sort of expose people and have those conversations earlier um is is going to be you know it's going to create it's going to expand our field and get more people that are like excited and interested and that's what we need to solve all the problems so absolutely 
I think we should move into kind of chatting about your research. Um, obviously, what you've mentioned is a lot of your research kind of focuses on community engagement, and that is a big reason why kind of switching out of structural engineering and into planning made sense for you. And so I'm I'm curious, I feel like, you know, hazard mitigation and disaster planning can kind of be looked at as like this top-down approach of like, we need the experts, we need people who know what's going on, because that's the only way that we're going to like be able to prepare for these big disasters like you know the engineers who know like these are the building codes that we need and so I'm curious like how community engagement in your eyes like really plays a pivotal role in like hazard mitigation and disaster planning yeah so that's a great question so you're 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 right in that sort of like historically and you know what we tend to see oftentimes is that you know just like other spaces in planning um you know we do have this tendency to sort of like emphasize sort of like top-down expert expertise, you can't see me, but I'm using air quotes, um, in terms of uh, thinking about how to solve, uh, you know, a lot of problems, but specifically things around hazards and disasters. Um, what we see time and time again, right, is that there can be major issues when we don't work with, involve local communities when there's some sort of, um, you know, hazard or disaster sort of whatever uh, topic we're thinking about. And so, you know, whether that's implementing programs that are, you know, completely disconnected from what people need, right? You know, even thinking about what they need around a disaster, right? Um, seeing how sort of making sure that we're sort of laying out things that are best prioritized for um, the actual situation that we're in. Um, and so because of these sort of things that like have, you know, lots of different examples of things that have sprung up, um, we really strongly emphasize the, the necessity of having some, um, not just, you know, minimal version of community agent, but like the deeper connections that we make and the, the more involved those sorts of processes are, um, that can have a huge impact on our ability to sort of achieve, you know, long-term recovery and, you know, like good resilience for spaces. Um, and so, um, you know, this is changing a lot, right? Like, so lots of different um, um, examples of we're being much more open and kind of aware of that, right? And so that's not such sort of like a shocker anymore that like we need to talk to people, we need to sort of include them. Um, but, you know, like a lot of the research that I do is sort of like the, the issues that we still kind of face or that like, even though we kind of know it's important, it, there, you know, it, it is not fair to say that it's 100% always, you know, prioritized. And then I guess the, the even maybe the bigger thing that kind of comes up a lot in my research is that even if we do do have it, it's there's a lot of questions about what it looks like, right, or what we're doing. And so, um, you know, is it just sort of saying that we sort of talked to people or had some sort of engagement because it was required for a grant or some sort of program? Um, or are we really centering, you know, you know, deep levels of, you know, the kind of engagement that we sort of really teach you all about, about wanting to prioritize, right? And so um, this can bring up a lot of equity dynamics. And so that's what I tend to work a lot on in terms of thinking about like, what are these sorts of ways that um, what it looks like, like, what does it look like on the field? How are we including people? What are ways that they're contributing that we're not seeing, right? Um, are there are there things that they're thinking about? You know, a lot of times this comes up sometimes, like there's sometimes a lot that we don't even recognize that they can do resilience and do these things a lot better than any sort of formal program that we have. And so I really try to 
focus in on those things and sort of shine a light on these different sorts of cases to to kind of in hopes that we can sort of improve that so that we can sort of give it the same level of value um, that we tend to do to the formal approaches. And so I think, you know, that's the direction that um, a lot of us are moving. And I think that like, again, there's better recognition of it, um, but I tried to sort of open up those sorts of conversations. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting because I know Natalie and I in some of our classes have, you know, talked about the different levels of engagement where it's like, oh, it's, you know, there's two required public hearings and that's all we're going to do because that is the requirement by law. And then there's, you know, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where it's like the community is engaged from the very beginning of the process and they are, you know, given like their words have a lot of weight and have a lot of impacts on what the project is going to end up looking like, like if it's like a development project or if it's, you know, a, a new park that's going to be coming into an, like whatever the, whatever the project is. Um, and so I think that it's, it's really interesting. And I, it's really good that that is now being talked about in like these planning programs of like, this is the engagement that we are striving for. And this is kind of where the industry standard is. And this is what's like legally required and kind of these different levels of engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a big part of, I think a lot of the work that I do is, you know, we, um, you know, I have a paper where we look, you know, we talk about um, there was a big special issue in JAPA of looking at sort of like where we've gone since Arnstein's original um, ladder participation, right? And so there's some really good, there's lots of people sort of working in this space. And, you know, one of the things that I contributed was um, an article based on some uh, research that I had done um, in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake, looking at how um, groups, organizations that were doing um, some version of recovery project, you know, what they were all doing some version of engagement. Um, and so I kind of came up with these different metrics looking at, you know, what that looked like in terms of these different tiers, right? And so what you see is that, you know, from a broader level, right, like everyone is doing some version of engagement, right? There's something that they're sort of um, claiming to do, and it's not to sort of dismiss that, but if you actually sort of start asking questions about the types of activities, right? And so, you know, I had different sorts of questions I asked. A lot of them were sort of um, building off of these older sort of um, frameworks that sort of look at these different scales. Um, and you do see differences, right? Like you see that they're not everyone is engaging people. And, you know, it's uh, this in the housing recovery space, it was a lot of people are engaged when it comes to um, hands-on things to sort of build housing. And the, and the organization may consider that engagement because it's community, they're involved, giving them a job. Um, but, you know, again, if we're thinking about the equity components, a lot of what we talk about as planners is not necessarily that, you know, we consider that a little bit more like sweat equity and not things that are really sort of building communities. So a lot of this is about contributing. You know, I talked about how communities can contribute to the process, but this is also, this is really about how we can also build the community up themselves, right? And so what can we do to actually sort of further their work and sort of advance a lot of the goals that we want to, for them to sort of be more resilient? Um, and so, yeah, so it's important when you find out that, you know, I, I get this question sometimes where people are like, oh, engagement, we've already talked about that, we've already done it. And it's like, yeah, but there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of thinking those things through because you'll see a lot less in that case, a lot less of the groups were actually, you know, I asked them questions about if people were included in sort of like, the big decisions that the organization was making. Are they in the board of directors? Are they sort of at those other sorts of levels? And you don't get, you know, <laughs> you don't get the same 
type of response in terms of, you know, engagement. So when you slice it differently, right, it can it can vary. And so that's a lot of I think what is important to sort of highlight that it's not enough for groups to say that they we did something with the community, like what is that something? And how can we improve it? Um, because we have gotten away with for a long time, just this sort of like rubber stamp version of engagement. It's kind of become this thing that everybody has to do. And so that's also why we can dismiss it really easily to just sort of like, eh, um, but it is really important, right? And especially when it's done equitably and sort of like deeply. Yeah, you highlighted a really important issue that I think is kind of coming up more frequently because it seems like in a lot of planning spaces, when it comes to engagement, it's more so informational engagement where we're just providing information to the community rather than trying to collaborate with the community. And like you said, or even, you know, find ways to uplift that community. And often I feel like the comments back that I hear in the planning space is that, oh, well, I mean, the community just wasn't interested or they didn't really want to be involved. And it's like, well, you held the meeting on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so obviously these folks who maybe are very interested in, in providing comment or very interested in how this is going to impact them can't do so or can't show up to that meeting because it's at 10 o'clock in the morning when everybody has work. And so I think it's this kind of mindful approach to community engagement that's so important. And I feel like we're trying to make strides. And I think I'm in housing and real estate. And I feel like this is like one of the more challenging kind of fields where community engagement has its challenges. And we often see it on the developer side. Um, Because again, it seems sometimes it can be very check the box and, oh, we're just, we had our, you know, two community engagement meetings and that's it. And we fulfilled our obligation and, and, you know, et cetera. And you want to be mindful of the developer that like, it is costly and it's timely and they, they want to get, you know, their, their project completed. But at the same time, we also need to highlight how important it is to really engage the community properly, because that also will play into the success of that project. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a hard, I was going to say it's a hard dynamic. And I think, you know, you described it really well. I think, you know, as someone that has been, you know, this is kind of like my motivating thing for a long time. I think we should all be doing it because it's, you know, it's the right thing to do. It, It just, to me, it's kind of crazy to, to be doing things for people or trying to plan around people or plan anything, anything that we do to me it seems, and I think to a lot of us, right, it just seems like an obvious thing. But for those that need some convincing, yeah. you know, part of, part of, I think sometimes what I try to accomplish with some of my research is also to connect this back to how these can have positive impacts for the person initiating that as well. Again, I, I think that there's some conversations about if that, you know, and I sometimes I'm one of these people that can take issue with like, well, we shouldn't be doing it for us to gain something. I think that's that sometimes is where I lean and it's fair. Um, but but because it is part of the space as it's part of the dynamics that are existing existing where we're at and that we do have to navigate that. And so sometimes that's some of the the conversations that I'll have with my students, right? Is that, you know, are there these ways that we can sort of um, you know, either do research or sort of describe and sort of pull out the ways that you know, not only is it the good thing and it's the right thing to do, but also because, like I said, I kind of use a disaster example. You know, I've seen so many different cases of projects that don't have good engagement and then the project falls flat, right? That the, there's because there wasn't community buy in, they don't want to either do the hazard mitigation approach. They, you know, they don't want to potentially inhabit those those 
houses that were built, right? They'll, people will leave, you know, they, they will leave those houses abandoned if it is not meeting the needs that they have, right? I think that's something that developers, you know, planners that are a little bit more top-down don't seem to understand. They're just like, well, you know, they'll be happy with they get whatever they get. And so that's, again, that, I'm giving extreme examples. It's not always the case, but I think that is part of the conversation around, you know, trying to at least get buy-in from the folks that are leading some of these activities. And sometimes that's how I try to sort of go about it is to sort of paint that also, not just for its benefit for the community, but also for the bottom line of what they're trying to accomplish. Because that's also part of a big a piece of why we do it as planners, right? We need that to be able to further the goals that we're doing. Yeah. And do you think that you could kind of um, share maybe a project that you've worked on that kind of touches upon all the different work that you're doing? Um, because I know that, you know, you talk about research, you've talked about community engagement planning and, you know, all of these kind of different components. Do you have a project that you'd like to highlight that maybe you could share with our listeners? Okay. Yeah. So I guess I could talk a little bit about, there's been a project that I've been working on, um, recently with one of my former graduate students, um, looking at, um, the relocation of informal communities, um, in Puerto Rico, um, and part of what we've been talking about in this paper is, um, you know, the idea that um, there's lots of different sort of, um, you know, environmental planning tools that we may use to sort of think about how we can manage, you know, hazards and risks. And so things like manage retreat and relocation are something that we talk a lot about. We're talking about them more and more with all, everything that we sort of been the current climate that we're in. Um, and so something that we talk about in this project is sort of how you know, relocation um, sort of may happen, maybe maybe put forward for communities, um, but that there's sort of a lot of questions about what happens sort of like after the relocation or after the move. And so kind of what we found in this project is that there's there can be a need for communities to sort of, you know, fill gaps and sort of address needs that aren't met um, based on the, the sort of formal uh, process of, you know, being relocated. And so I think that kind of gets at sort of this, again, the sort of like the value of thinking about um, community engagement and working with people and sort of understanding their needs and sort of, you know, and again, a lot of times, sometimes those things can't all be met. And so in a case, like sometimes thinking about relocation, um, there's lots of different things that are having to be balanced, especially when you're thinking about informal communities, those sorts of spaces. Um, but I think it's important to sort of think about the ways that, you know, communities are, um, you know, obviously heavily impacted by these different sorts of, you know, environmental planning um, activities that we do and that, you know, we can, um, you know, do a lot to sort of incorporate them. Um, and also um, the other part that I think is highlighted in that project, which is another sort of area that I do a lot of work in is sort of thinking about the ways that communities, we can actually learn from them, right? Like how we can actually um, take what they're doing and not just, you know, not just sort of do what we're doing to improve, uh, you know, the activity, but also maybe modify our own planning approach and process. And so from this, what you see is a lot of different ways that kind of communities understand and sort of are building resilience, which is something that we love to talk about as planners um, in some ways better than what we do as planners. <laughs> and so, right, like their kind of their awareness of problems or kind of their approach to them, um, it I think is a very, that offers some good takeaways in terms of 
how we can sort of think about even the way that we approach things, you know, learning from what they're doing on the ground. Um, so I would say that th those are some things that have been some key themes, um, you know, in terms of thinking about these different these different sorts of problems and parts of um, hazard and disaster community engagement around those those spaces. Yeah, I think that that's so important of, you know, learning from the community because yes, like we as planners are the like, quote, experts in, you know, planning issues, you know, like the legal frameworks and kind of all these different nuanced parts of, um, you know, like kind of how cities and, and, and regions are functioning. But the lived experience of the people who are there is, you know, just as if not more important, because they are really the ones who are experiencing these, you know, hazards or that like, are, you know, doing DIY urbanism and kind of just all these different interventions just to survive and just to kind of live their lives. And so that's something that Natalie and I have, you know, talked about a, a few times on the podcast is just like a lot of times I feel like in planning, you know, the community engagement falls short of really taking into account like the lived experience of people who are in the space and it's interesting because we're in an urban design class right now and our, our professor is an architect and we were talking about community engagement last night in class and kind of like, oh, well, like where does like, where can community engagement like really be effective? And like, are there times when it's like not as important? Like, are there times where, you know, you're designing something and, you know, it's a NIMBY or whatever, but, and it's like, you know, as much as you want to say, like, can't take that into account because they're a NIMBY, it's like, every you have to take into account everyone's lived experience in the space and kind of you know maybe it's a judgment call and you kind of have to move forward with the project but like everyone has an experience in the space and it, i don't know not i'm not saying nimbys are right but <laughs> it, like it is an interesting kind of conundrum that you're put in sometimes where it's like you can't just ignore someone's lived experience yeah. even if it's like buy it like Okay, maybe that was a weird place to take it, but I think like what I'm trying to say is Yeah, like, and if I kind of... Yeah, and I was gonna say, I mean, it's a little bit different, but we kind of have this a lot in my space, right? So thinking about working with communities around like hazards and disasters, right? Because there can be some of what we do a lot of times is there's resistance, right? Like there's a lot of it's kind of like how do we work around you know, different sorts of communities, what their needs are. Um, it's not always, I guess, they're kind of examples of it's not always like a rosy version of, of working with communities, right? Like it can be like, yeah, there can be, you know, lots of resistance to projects or ideas or different sorts of things. Um, but we have to do it, right? Like that's just, I think that's also part of it. Like it's just, it literally, I think that's kind of what I, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship thinking about this as a planner, right? Because you know, in some ways you kind of can't get around it in anything that we do, right? Because everything that planners do has that social piece. It always kind of has to have, now whether we do it right or what it looks like, like that's a whole other conversation, but it is kind of fundamental to everything that we're doing because we're right at that intersection of, you know, like the implementation of initiatives. Like that's what makes us different from an engineer or other folks, right? Because we have to deal with those sorts of things. And so even if, if the potential feedback is going to be bad, um, you know, like you have to throw it out there. And I think also a lot of it is also thinking about 
you know, like again, there, there's some corners, which maybe you've pointed out some that it can be hard to find the thread. Um, but right, but we have to sort of, those are things that we have to think about and like, how can we address like the bigger, the bigger issues or sort of, you know, get at it in different ways. And so that's a lot of what we have to do um, from like a disaster planning standpoint is that, you know, you know, does it mean different sorts of training, knowledge campaigns? I have a paper where we talk about, um, we call, we focus on what we call like two-way knowledge exchanges, which I think is a real, this kind of touches also a little bit on what you're mentioning is missing a bit um, where it's always a little bit of like, how do planners do engagement to communities or talk to communities or learn, like, how do we do it that way? Not how do they bring it back to us? Um, and so I think that's something that is part of what we're, you know, a lot of in my research trying to push towards, you know, I think that's a really important part of the conversation that we don't always, you know, focus as much on. Yeah, definitely. I love that the two-way knowledge exchange. I've never heard that like phrase, but I feel like that is like a great way of kind of, yes, like we can like impart some, you know, knowledge onto the community of like, kind of here's what we're working with. Like here's the framework of like kind of, or the constraints of the project, but then also learning from yeah. the community and engaging the community meaningfully and be like, oh, well this, you know, experience is, is just as important in considering what we're gonna, you know, put in the space. Which is yeah, totally. Yeah, because totally. there's a lot of things that is no matter how much you know background research we do, we don't have that lived experience, right? And so right. you know whether it's like I've, again, I've worked with communities that have had they they can tell you everything there possibly is to know about nonprofits and their different sorts of activities because they've had a slew of them come in and out of their communities, right? They 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 know more about water sanitation issues through projects that have been implemented in their communities than any than than actual environmental engineers, right? And so um, it's kind of cool, actually, to be honest, to, like to sort of sit and have these conversations with folks and like they can tell you how things are, why they're not working. You know, they can, some, there's a lot of things that they can see so much clearer than we can. Um, and that's that's also, you know, why, you know, we have to do it. And 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 I think just re-emphasizing that, that piece of it, I think, could go a long way for planning. Yeah. Um, and I think just starting to wrap up a little bit here, um, the last kind of, thing that we wanted to touch on is kind of, I think thinking about climate change and, you know, increased prevalence of disasters being perpetuated, it can be kind of really heavy and overwhelming. And I've definitely felt like a sense of kind of just like overwhelming, like doom. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we are like, how are we going to get out of this? And I feel like as like a practitioner and a researcher in the field, I'm sure that you also experience that, those feelings. And so we were kind of wondering like how you kind of remain optimistic and hopeful and motivated to continue doing the work that you're doing. Oh, you're, you're ending with the, the easiest question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it can be rough, right? Like it is, this is this, these spaces are, um, you know, you're not, you're, I, I, it resonates with me, I'll say, right, that sometimes it can feel like quite a bit, right? Um, the climate risks, obviously, you know, again, like being in sort of a disaster space when you have these sort of, um, you know, you're seeing like more and more things happening. Right now, we just sort of have this earthquake in Turkey, which is, you know, insanely devastating. And so you sort of see these like large scale events. And so I think the first part for me is just like really acknowledging that like, you know, you're, you're not crazy. We're not crazy. Like that, these are things that are not that, you know, they're, that, 
you know, we have to give ourselves some space, I think, to acknowledge that it, it they are um, heavy and uh, it, it rightfully, I think, takes kind of an emotional toll on us all. Um, and, you know, I think for me, it really is just, I try to stay, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, you know, my students usually are the things that give me the most hope, right? Because um, I... I, I always try to strike this balance of like, I don't love when society is like, oh, you're going to fix it all because, you know, we gave you quite a lot to have to do. And I don't know that that's fair, that that's all on your shoulders. Um, you know, thinking about like an environmental justice, like undue burdens kind of a lens, like that is definitely having to carry the weight of a lot of generations of folks that that's a lot. Right. And so I think that also I don't like that when that is used in a way that can feel um, sometimes I have conversations, you know, I had one recently with my undergrad students where they're like, that's kind of a lot for like, that doesn't help me feel like, you know, any less pressure that just like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And so I think that it's, it's important to not put that on you all. Um, but I do feel really, I, that's when I feel the most motivated, right? Like I see the work that, you, that the ideas that are coming out, the conversations that, you know, your generations are having and pushing um, that, that you know, we hadn't seen in such a long time. And so that really does give me, that's what really gives me a lot of hope is sort of like seeing, um, I feel good about at least where, you know, the priorities, the conversations, like where you're pushing all of that. Because um, I have more faith in all of you than, 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 some, than some of, some of uh, I don't know. I guess I have to be careful there with who I blame, but but I would say that, that that's what that's what I think I try to, think about, right, is that, you know, what, what are seeing these sort of exciting ideas that are coming out, you know, seeing this sort of like passion around studying environment issues. For me, a lot of it comes also to sort of like these deeper connections being made with like the justice and the equity questions, right? Because um, those are just things that have just been overlooked for so long and sort of to see that be finally coming up and resonating with more people as sort of being a priority um, alongside the the just, you know, environmental risks not separate, separated from those things. And so that's what I try to focus on is that, you know, at least that there are, you know, lots of really, um, I get, I get the pleasure of sort of like being in the room with you all. And so I get to sort of see the, you know, where this conversation is going to go on. And so that, that's really for me, like what is, um, probably where I, you know, link my, my hope and optimism, optimism, uh, to no pressure, but yeah, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, I just need you both to solve it all, please. And, and everyone is listening. <laughs> That's so funny. The, it's really, it's just, it's reminding me of this conversation that I had. Um, so there was a situation where um, there was a big plan in San Diego to kind of push um, a very, very big transportation project forward. And there were a lot of folks that were saying like, well, why are we going to fund this project if it's not going to benefit us in the long term? Because it, it's going to take so long for it to come to fruition. And the comment back was, why are we're not focusing on just yourself as an individual? You're focusing on the generations that will inherit this really positive, impactful project that's going to benefit everybody throughout the future. And so I think it really is important to kind of address not laying the burden on the future to try to, you know, like have to deal with all these issues and address them right now. And I think that's what I really appreciate about when we're talking about 
how Sam and I, for instance, out of our program are going to take all the things that we've learned, you know, at USC, and we're going to be able to say like, we don't want to, you know, just kind of extend this burden to the next generation and the next generation. So I appreciate that you have so much faith in us, <laughs> Sam, Sam and I, and anybody who's listening, who's in urban planning and, you know, all the future urban planners, I, I really am. And I think in the same way that you say, when you're talking to your students, you have a lot of hope. I feel the same way when I'm talking to fellow cohort, you know, mates of mine, where it just, you can tell that there really is this deep desire to have meaningful impact on communities. And I really appreciate just all the work that you're doing as well. And I really appreciate professors like you who can come into this space and really, really provide a lot of, I feel like it's very empowering when a professor says like, I have a lot of faith that you're going to be able to to tackle this. And so I just really appreciate that. And I think it's, you know, I don't feel any pressure at all. I actually feel very motivated and excited. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that's that's part of like, you know, where we have to pass on, you know, the 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 baton. And so like we're yeah. all trying to sort of like make an impact. And so I think I think even having these conversations here, right? Like trying to see sort of like, what can we learn from this? And sort of, you know, again, the work that you're both doing to sort of disseminate that. So, um, you know, keep up the good fight, you know, and you know, you have all of our support. So, you know. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for chatting with us. And we would really love to invite you to share any organizations that, you know, you think our listeners could benefit from, whether it be information, activism, if you want to plug those in right now. And then Sam and I can also, um, we'll add them in the description, the actual names and if there's, uh, you know, websites or anything. Well, I guess, so um, I would say some recommendations for some, so there's a lot of, you know, great organizations that do work in a lot of these different spaces. Um, one that I can quickly shout out, um, a group that I have sort of like a long history with, they're called Build Change. Um, they do a lot of work in sort of the earthquake housing reconstruction space. And so if anyone's interested in some of the work that I talked about, um, particularly some of those intersections between engineering and thinking about sort of some community sort of things, um, you might want to check those out. Um, and then I also, from just a, you know, disaster planning standpoint, you know, always sort of suggest people, you know, look into the you know, Sam knows this well. I like to give all my students a hard time about making sure that they're prepared in case of potential, you know, we are in Southern California, you know, risks are everywhere. Um, and so I always also kind of shout out um, to look into what are the local, you know, hazards, risks, potential disasters that could occur in your area, make sure that you're ready to go. Um, uh, you can check out ready.gov. They have a lot of recommendations for things you can do. Make sure that you have your disaster preparedness kit, all of that. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't didn't give one last, you know, homework or lecture assignment. So <laughs> that's what I would say. I remember that from class. Everyone, get your earthquake prepared. Get your earthquake kids. <laughs> I, I it's it, I have to be on brand. You know, it's I, I've got to be consistent. 
All right. I think that that is a great place to wrap it up. So thank you so, so much, Santina, for chatting with us. It was really, really great. And you're, I think you're kind of the first guest that we've had that's been like super in the environmental space. And so I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, it's just been an amazing conversation. Well, hopefully you get more environmental folks on your, on your podcast. (laughs) We will. We will. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not.